0: All right. I love this. I love hearing you talk to each other. A couple of names I either heard lifted up or that I just know from getting to know you guys, Ben Franklin Elementary, Chinook Middle, Endeavor Elementary, Puesta del Sol, Dual Immersion School, Arrowhead Elementary, Cottage Lake Elementary, Canyon Park, so many more. Every one of us is connected to a school. That's the point. Every one of us has the opportunity to bless and to step into the lives of our neighbors through a school. Now, I remember being in an earlier stage in life, in my 20s, I didn't have a whole lot to do with schools, but what I want to challenge us to do today as a church is to use schools as kind of a proxy for getting at this theme in the text around neighbors. The word neighbor came up in the text several times. And in the original Greek language, a neighbor means someone who is proximate to you, someone who is sitting nearby to you, someone who is close to you. It has to do with geographic distance. Your neighbors cannot be far away. They are right next to you. For many of us, the place where we encounter our neighbors most regularly, most congenially, is when we just walk by them in our schools. Our schools are the hubs of our neighborhoods and our communities. At some point, your journey went through a school, did it not? I was at a meeting this week for a Seattle Public Schools and Union Gospel Mission talking about faith communities partnering with schools. This was amazing to me. The fact that the door is open in the Seattle School District for churches and faith communities to play a part in blessing schools is remarkable. That is the moment that we are in. The school superintendent, Dr. Juno, was there speaking to the community about why these partnerships are valuable. If you know anything about the relationship between churches and schools, you might have just swallowed your gum. Like That is a real thing that's happening in our community. I was there... Because in our church's friendship with Paradise Baptist Church, we have started to try to do some work at Dunlap Elementary School. Dunlap is one of the least resourced furthest south of the Seattle schools, and it's right in Paradise Baptist Church backyard. And so we, through Paradise, have done some work there together to try to bless and care for those kids. The principal of Dunlap Elementary School sat at my lunch table with myself, Pastor Kindred, a couple of other leaders that we know, and she had this great line I want to share with you. She said, there was a time when schools had it. We had the resources. We had the support. We could do things together. Her quote was, you can't do school alone anymore. You can't do it alone anymore. We need these partnerships. Friends, our neighbors are opening the door for us and saying, church, come on in. We may disagree. There may be things that we don't see eye to eye about. We know we're not coming in to proselytize, but we are coming in to bless and to serve. And that's the specific focus we're going to talk about. This was a focus that the church in Rome felt very heavily in the time that Paul was writing to them. They had divisions. They had neighbors together, people who were proximate to one another. We talked about this last week, how their neighbors were powerful people because Rome was such a powerful city. They had political leaders and military leaders and spiritual leaders all kind of in this place. So there were challenges in the Roman church in relating to neighbors. And then within the church, there were serious divisions between two different ethnic groups. The people who identified with the Jewish tradition, who are now Christians, and the people who were Gentiles. And who are now Christians. They're trying to figure out how to do life together as neighbors. This is the step we are all taking today. And the lens I want us to think about is through our schools. And so as I talk, as we listen, as we listen for the Holy Spirit, keep picturing that school that you wrote down. Keep picturing that place that so impacted you or is so integral to your community. And be asking, Lord, what do you want us to be doing how can we be a blessing to this community? I have done something I have never done before in my preaching ministry here. I have dropped one of my points. Everybody say amen. 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 We're gonna have two points today, not three. So there's three in your out in your bulletin. We're just gonna do one and three today. Owe no one to anything. And then the final one: love and friendship. So turn with me in your Bibles if you can to Romans 13. And we're going to be starting in verse 8, which Heather just read for us, but I'll read it again, we'll talk about it, and then we'll keep moving through the text together today. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the back table which you're welcome to take. So listen now for God's word, Romans 13 verse 8, "No oh, no one anything, except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Oh no one anything." What does that mean? You may be uh, familiar with the concept of owing. You may have a whole bunch of debt. Maybe it's just good debt, right? Your mortgage. Maybe you've got some remaining student loan debt. Or maybe you're just kind of going like, can we not talk about debt? Credit card debt, it's killing me. I've got student loans coming out my ears. I've got a car loan that I would get rid of in a moment. Student loan debt, interestingly enough, I looked this up, in 2018, 44 million Americans still had a ton of school debt to get through. So if you're feeling terrible, you're not alone. The total amount of student loan debt in the United States alone, $1.5 trillion. Not billion, trillion dollars. The average debt owed per person in that equation, $37,172. It's huge. We are familiar with debt. But on the east side, many of us have been connected to employers that allow us to have an income where we can pay off our debts. And you may be sitting there thinking like, dude, debt doesn't apply to me. I paid for stuff. I've got it all figured out. My books are clean. Well, then I would ask you to look at the text a little bit more deeply with me and say this, what does it mean to owe a debt of love? Because that's what Paul's talking about here. How can you owe somebody love? How do you you monetize that? How do you proliferate that? How do you hand that off to somebody else? My wife and I have three kids. They're six, four, and two. And in this story, the kid who is the culprit will remain anonymous. We have one of those uh, good-to-go slider things in our car, right? Does everybody kind of have these? These are sort of ubiquitous now, right? Where you slide it over to one side, and it says toll. And then you slide it over to the other side, and what does it say? HOV, which means you're free. Have fun. Drive as long as you want. If you're not familiar with this, it's a way to step onto one of our toll lanes and to not have to pay the toll. You slide it over to HOV. But if you're going to be honest and pay the toll, you slide it the other way. Well, one of our children, who shall remain anonymous, loves to get in the car and play with that slider. Guess what happens when that slider gets played with? You look at your toll bill and you go, what? Who Who is paying 10 bucks to get down to Bellevue? What's going on? Now, suppose we take Anonymous Kid aside, my wife and I, and we say, hey, we just got the toll bill. You're on the hook. We need you to cough up the dough. Otherwise, you've got to go find some new roommates. <laughs> now, we laugh, but that is a sheer impossibility. Six, four, and two. There's no gainful employment when you're six, four, and two. It can't work. And really, the types of tolls that we incur with this sneaky little slider thing, it's a pittance. It's not, I mean, whatever. It's the change in your couch. However, for my unnamed child, that's a deal. They can't pay that debt. The debt that humanity owes is impossible. This is the premise of the gospel. More than tolls, more than compounded credit card interest, more than $1.5 in student loans, more than predatory lending, it is impossible for human beings to lift the debt that is owed off of our own shoulders. We can't do it. And this totally disrupts our individualistic culture where we go, if I work hard enough, if I make enough money, if I do this, if I do that, I can get rid of any debt. There is no barrier that will hold me back. This will. And this was the point of Romans 1 and 2 earlier in our sermon series. There is no way for human beings to escape the effect of what this weight that we call sin has done for us. It has disrupted everything. It is too heavy for humanity to carry. And we know this, those of us who follow Jesus Christ, but we need to be reminded of it to share it well with others. In Jesus Christ, this is the gospel, the weight falls on another. The weight doesn't land on us anymore. It's like when I pay my toll bill, and that unnamed child doesn't have to pay for it. The weight falls on another. The debt is paid. There is restoration. But Paul's still making a point here that we've got to spend a little bit of time on. We owe a debt, church. We owe a debt. And he calls it, I'm going to call it the debt of love. And here's how I want us to think about that. The debt that we owe is our response. It's our response to this good news that the weight has been lifted. It's our response to the freedom that we have been given in this relationship that we can have in Jesus Christ. The response, Paul says it in the text, love one another. Say it with me, church. Love one another. That may seem simplistic. That may seem a pittance. That may seem like a 75 cent toll cruising down to Bellevue. What did we talk about last week? To love one another is costly and difficult. You know you are in a loving relationship with someone when you encounter those moments when it is costly and difficult. It ain't always like that, but it is a high watermark when you say, I got to keep working at this relationship. I am not bailing out. I am not quitting because it is costly and difficult. This is the pathway that God has led me into. This reminds me of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You may know this story by heart. It's one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. Jesus used it to illustrate the gospel in a powerful way. But a son comes up to his father says, Hey, I I need my inheritance, which essentially is saying, I wish you were dead. And he gets this huge sum of money. He goes off. He squanders it. He just spends it all. And finally, the text tells us he comes to his senses one day, and he starts rehearsing this speech in his head of how he's going to tell his dad Hey, I don't deserve to be your kid anymore. Would you just adopt me into your family again? I'll be your servant. He has all this figured out in his head, and then he comes home. And this is a shame and honor culture, right? So we might think of this as our tail tucked between our legs, but this is this kid's apocalyptic moment where he feels so devastated by it. He comes up to his dad. He gets ready to start his speech, and the dad says, Welcome home. I rejoice that you are home. What if the dad said to him, where's that money? What'd you do? That shame is compounded on his heart, on his mind. What if the dad says, yeah, you can come back in, but you're going to sleep over there till you work this debt off, until you pay me back for everything that you just squandered. There's no place for you here. We expect that. But that is not the narrative of the gospel. It is pure grace. When we receive grace, we live differently. When we receive grace, church, we must live differently. And I imagine this young man, after he comes home, throwing a party, the dad's celebrating all this, imagine just sitting there in a chair at a great feast with all the joy. Your family's there, your neighbors are there, your friends are there, and you realize this is for you because all you did was come home. All you did was say, I've made a mistake, and I need to be forgiven. And you've come home, and you look at all of it, and you're overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed. If you're married, you you might have experienced this at your wedding, at the reception. You're looking at everybody, and you're just overwhelmed by all these incredible people who are here. When I do weddings, I make sure the couple pauses during the ceremony and takes a look out at the people who are there because that's the only time in the universe that all those people will be gathered together to celebrate this one thing. It is overwhelming, and yet if we felt like we owed it to those people to pay them back, to, to do something to sort of be even Stevens with them, it wouldn't be loving. There would be no love in that. So what is our love debt, Bethany? What is the debt that we are called to pay? Very practically, if you're a Christian, the love debt that you owe involves the person who shared Christ with you. The love debt that you and I owe is in the relationship with the person who said to us, hey, you need to know about this Jesus. I'm your Sunday school teacher. I'm your coach. I'm your youth group leader. I see you acting a fool and you are better than this. And I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to share, I want you to share in the life that God has for you. I've shared with you guys before. For me, it was in uh, my sophomore year of high school, I had a great Bible study leader named Trey and I sat with him and I just said, look, I've tried a bunch of stuff and I don't feel satisfied. So what can I do to actually be satisfied? Is this Jesus guy actually going to satisfy me? And I was a church kid. I'd grown up going to worship my whole life. But that moment, that entry point for me was where God used this wonderful mentor, this man that I learned to love and trust and still do to say, I'm going to entrust you with this very vulnerable question. Now, when I'm up here doing this or when I'm working, doing my job, I'm not thinking, am I making Trey happy? That is not paying off a love debt. A love debt is, as I have received, so do I want others to receive. Jesus put it this way. (laughs) Oh my gosh, go and do likewise, church. Go and do likewise, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've had someone look at you and say, I see where you are now. This is where you need to be. You need to be in God's family. Or maybe, like, this is my mom's experience, right? Like, she didn't have a kind of come-to-faith moment, but she had a long trajectory toward it. A lot of people investing in her over time. Part of how she loves the church is by investing in that and saying, I owe this debt. And it is not about being burdened by it. It's about living in response to what God has given me. So take just a moment and picture that person or that teacher or that small group who, like Trey for me, welcomed you in. And how is your life a reflection of that goodness that that person shared with you? How is your life a response to that grace? And if it's not, can I offer you an invitation? Can I offer you the opportunity to respond faithfully by being a part of one of our serving teams here at church? Yes, this is very practical. Yes, this is very nuts and bolts to our life together as a community. So many of us are already a part of this. But if you are missing out on our life together in small groups or our life together in serving teams, you are missing out on some of the best stuff that you could be a part of. And so you've been hearing about this. We'll hear about this a little bit more. But specifically right now, we have a deep and profound need for leaders and teachers and teachers' assistants in our children's ministry. And we're asking folks to try it once a month for three months. Just come. We will train you. We will equip you. You do not have to be the person up there memorizing the Bible and doing all this every week. We need caring adults to stand in these rooms, stand with our kids as we just promised we would for the cooks, to stand with our most precious generation. As we live into this value at Bethany, passing the torch of leadership from one generation to the next, what will be the part that you play, church? What will your response be to this love debt? Get involved in a team. Talk to me. Talk to one of our leaders at the welcome table. We want to help you find a good fit. And if you don't find a good fit, we'll help you find a different one. That's why we're going to try it for three months. You're not going to be stuck there until Jesus comes back. Let us find this with joy together. Let us discern together. And if you're brand new, don't feel like you've got to run off and go do this, but if you want to, I am not going to stop you. Get to know us. Learn about how your gifts can apply here. As we have been loved well, so are we called to love others well. That's our response. So that's the first point. We owe the wonderful debt of love. Will you say that with me? We owe the wonderful debt of love, church. Second point I want to make for us, point three in your outline is that Jesus is coming after our, our, or excuse me, is that love hurts nobody. This is the fulfillment piece. This is love and friendship. I'm going to read from Romans 13.10 in the Phillips translation. It says this, love hurts nobody, which the grammarian in me is like, <laughs> love hurts nobody. Therefore, love is the answer to the law's commands. Love is the answer to the law's commands. That is agape love. That is the type of love that if you read throughout the book of Romans, it starts out as just describing God, and then it moves into describing the way people can relate to one another, and then it becomes a mandate, then it becomes a calling, then it becomes this high watermark for us, that we are called to step into that kind of love. What does that look like? This is the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want to read this to us from the Message Translation. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Whew, there's a question. He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do that and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? And Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Isn't that a great verb? He angled across. He rerouted away from him. Then a Levite religious man showed up, and he also avoided the injured man. But then, then, a Samaritan, Traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid. He disinfected and bandaged his wounds. He lifted him onto his donkey. He took him to an inn, made him comfortable. And in the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar, responded, and Jesus said, go and do the same. Go and do likewise. Who answered the call to the man who got hurt? Who angled the other way? All the usual suspects, the people who are the most religious, the most indoctrinated, the most, I've been at church every Sunday since I was in the cradle. Who moved toward the man? The natural enemy the guy that was from a different ethnic group, the place of greatest racial and social tension, that was the place where the gospel entered in. That was the place, the neighbor who least fit the expectation of Jesus' audience, the Samaritan, the audience would have gone, are you kidding, that guy? But I love the word Eugene Peterson uses in this paraphrase. Everybody else angled away from the man you know this you angle away you move your car away from a wreck you kind of move to the other side of the street if you see somebody walking towards you you don't want to talk to you you kind of reroute a little bit i want the opposite to be true of our church i want us to angle toward the need i want us to so shift our path like the samaritan did where we see somebody hurting and we go well i don't care what happens the rest of my day i need to help this person I need to do this with the best of my ability and the best of the resources. And let me just offer a pause here. Anytime you teach on the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's always tricky because people hear that and they go, I couldn't do that. That guy, like he ruined his whole schedule, right? What about all the meetings he had? What about all the stuff he needed to reply to? What about his family? Like he, I mean, that's great, but I can't do that. I need something that fits for this to work. And if that's your response, I would say, let me try to explain the gospel again, because I don't know that we've heard it properly. This guy goes to great lengths, and we tell ourselves, "Ah, that's not me, I can't do that. I got, mm-mm, nope. If all you can do, Bethany, for somebody who's in need is just acknowledge their humanity, just sit with them, learn their name, you've done your part. You've done your part. This guy went to an incredible length, absolutely. It's a parable. The point is to call us to higher ground. If all we can do, this is what I do, if all we can do is have a couple of granola bars in our car and when we drive by someone experiencing homelessness, we extend a granola bar to them and we say, hey, what's your name? It's really nice to meet you. Just, I'll be praying for you today. That's it. If that is all you can do, praise God. Because the worst thing we could do, the way we can break this commandment apart, love is the answer to law's commands. The way that we can fracture that is by pretending like those who are in need don't exist. That is how we will be lawbreakers and not law keepers, is by our chosen ignorance. And I know this church, and we are not a chosen ignorance church. We do not choose to angle away from those in need. We are a courageous group of people. And our courage, I'm convicted more than ever, calls us to the places of need in our community, like our kids that need ministry, like our teenagers that are coming up and coming into this super confusing world. If all we can do is devote an hour a month to investing in them, if all we can do is walk up to a school and say, how can we help? We're doing our part. It is not about giving this guy the hotel room and the steak dinner and all the other things that we kind of picture. It is about what part can you play? Do not tell yourself that you cannot contribute. Do not tell yourself, like I've heard so many people say, if I can't do it right, I don't want to do it. Stop it. Because to do it in the name of Jesus Christ, it will be redeemed. It doesn't matter if you fumble on your way to teaching a kid's Sunday school lesson. It doesn't matter if you learn a homeless person's name and then you forget their name. You did it. You're doing the work. It will amount to a huge moment for the kingdom. I guarantee you, church, All we have to do is keep stepping into our courage. How do we do this? When we're talking about neighbors and we're thinking about schools, go back to the school that you wrote down on your name tag. Think about what kind of opportunity or need might be in that school. At this meeting that I was at with the Seattle schools and the Union Gospel Mission, One of the ways they encouraged us was just sharing all these stories of how schools and churches are partnering together already. And we've done this. We've invested at Robert Frost Elementary, my son's school. We did this last summer. We went and did community serve day there at the end of August. It was amazing. I hope we do it again. I hope we bring so many more people this year. Some of you went to Puesta and invested at that school. Some of you went to Arrowhead and invested in that school. The point is that we are trying to take steps forward into this calling to be a blessing to our schools. At the Seattle schools meeting, I heard stories of big and small works of love, and I just want us to be encouraged by this. There are some churches that all they can do, like Paradise, is do some clothing and do some backpacks and do some school supplies, and it is simple and it is enough because it's making a difference at Dunlap Elementary School. There's a church that has developed this friendship with a school, I think they're in Beacon Hill, and all that they're doing is at the beginning of every school year, they're throwing a party. That church is setting up a bunch of barbecue grills, and they are cooking out, and they're welcoming the community and the neighborhood, and that's a big deal, right? But that's what they're doing, and the school loves it, and the community loves it. My friend Roy is the pastor of a predominantly Chinese church in the South End, and he's telling me about this, and this vision, I just about cried. Every small group in my friend Roy's church has adopted a classroom at their local elementary school. And what they're doing is they're saying, whatever needs this teacher has, whatever needs these kids have. It's not just my church. It's my small group. It's these people that I'm doing life with, and I'm saying, let's do this. Let's go clean up this person's classroom. Mr. So-and-so needs paper towels. You go get paper towels. Miss So-and-so, she needs her chalkboard erased. She needs someone to come in and work with kids and read to them. We're doing that. And we're going to do that at the micro level, with our groups, with these communities of faith that meet throughout these week, these smaller expressions of our church, they're taking this ownership. I want that for us. I want that for our schools because our neighbors will never know that we love them until they see it, until they feel it. And if we say, I'm too busy, that doesn't fit, I'm too distracted, I, I got enough problems with my own kids, fine. You're missing out. And you're missing the weight of the gospel and how it will break down these barriers in our lives of our comfort and our safety. There's a triangle that I walk in my neighborhood. I just realized it this week, that it's just just this fun little image. I go from my house with my two big kids up to the preschool, which is at this little church in our neighborhood, drop off Hadley, our middle, at her preschool. So that's part one of the triangle. And then we go over to Frost. And we drop off Will at his school. That's part two. And then we go back to our house. One, two, three. There is something that God wants us to do in that triangle. I'm convinced of that. And I'm convinced that there are more than just the triangle in my neighborhood. That every one of us has some kind of route that we do like that whether it's to your work, whether it's driving by a school, whether it's talking to your neighbors about their schools, there is some connecting point that each of us has and that is no accident, church. And there is something in me that is deeply motivated and desires so much for us as a church to step into that triangle that I walk and that many other parents walk and to do something that is a blessing that helps encourage parents, that helps encourage kids and shows them they're not alone. And it's some kind of equipping thing. It's something that's kind of starting to form together. It's a partnership. It's showing our neighborhood that the church is there as a resource, as a place of hope and encouragement. It's something that says to kids at Frost and to teachers at Frost, if you need something, we got you. We're here. And I want that for Dunlap. I want Dunlap Elementary School to look at Paradise Baptist Church, not at Bethany, at Paradise, because Paradise is there. They're doing that work. And to say to Paradise, whenever we have a need, we're going to come to you. Because we know you got us. That is what I want us to be stepping into. And if you want to be a part of that, if you want to jump into that, oh, it's going to be fun. We're going to have a great time with this. And some of you are already doing this, and I'm so thankful for that. But it is time, church, for us to take loving our neighbors to a new level. And if you want to be a part of that, come talk to me. Pray with me. Pray for this triangle image, this like how can we equip and resource kids at a Title I school where my kids go, where there's tons of needs. 80% of those kids are on free and reduced lunch. Hungry kids can't learn. How can we help? How can we help? How can we help teachers? Some of whom are brand new out of college and are kind of going, what do I do And some of whom have been there for so long and they're kind of broke down and they're getting tired. How do we help? Friends, this is our calling. There's an adventure waiting for us. And it's not going to fit in the box. It's going to be costly and difficult. But that's the call. And if you want to be a part of that, step in. You want to be a part of that with what's going on in our children's ministries, come sign up at the welcome table afterwards. The dream is that every school in this community knows that Bethany Community Church is there for them. And that we will stop at nothing to make sure that they have everything they need. Does that sound like a good dream? I think it is. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this call to love our neighbors. In the world of the Roman church, this was so difficult. And in our day, the difficulty isn't necessarily cultural or the fact that we're in some kind of empire. The difficulty in our day is just that we're busy. We tell ourselves we don't have time. We tell ourselves that won't fit. We shrink from the courageous call that you have given to us to step into these places, to be a blessing to kids who are in need. And so God, however this message of loving neighbors lands in each of our lives, would you carry it forth to a place that we cannot imagine? Maybe it's loving our coworkers in the deepest possible way. Maybe it's showing up for a neighbor who's sick and just caring for them and sitting with them. Maybe it's getting to know a parent at our kid's school who just, they're wearing it. It's on their face. They're struggling. How can we help? Thank you, God, that in the working out of this dream, it is never about how much we can do or how many marks we can hit. It is about being, re- being invigorated, alive, fully alive as we respond to the debt of love that we owe. Thank you, God. May we drill down even more deeply into what the gospel is and how it shapes us so we can be the kind of people that change our world for your sake. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.